Good day. Welcome to The Trendy Place. This is The Trend Podcast with Justin A. Williams, and I want to thank you all for joining us. We're here to share great perspectives from all across the spectrum, and we're here to excite our audience and give knowledge, and the views expressed by our guests are the views of their own, no more and no less, not of our parent company, The Trend. All right, so we have a great guest on today. We have Lauren DeLisa Coleman. She has been on MSNBC. She is an award-winning writer, and she is a leading expert in tech branding and especially Web3, which I don't know anything about, which is going to be great to talk about today. Uh, Lauren, how are you? I am doing just fine, Justin. Thank you so much for having me. Um, and, you know, the viewers don't know, but we had to kind of reschedule because I have a number of things going on right now uh, in my life on the personal side with my mom. So I just want to say thank you right now um, for, for all that. And I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah. Sure. Awesome. We're excited to have you. You know, um, we, we we often have guests on that are uh, of uh, pretty high caliber, but uh, to, to be able to book you was, was a great boon for us. So when I was talking to Anne, who handles some of our booking, uh, Anne Brown, um, she was just raving about you. So I was, I was very excited. And, you know, seeing somebody else uh, of color, seeing another uh, person of color in the tech world, um, you know, I'm interested in invest and I have an LLC that does things with cryptocurrency and things like that. But seeing that is, is oh, cool. really positive. And I think, you know, uh, just for our audience in terms of our our white audience or black audience, um, where they're all just pining for more ideas to come out of the BIPOC community that deal with things that are not typical within our our our, our spectrum when we're represented in media. Right. Well, um, yeah, well, I guess, again, Anne is the patron saint right now, right, right of, of this podcast. And I think this came about because she did a beautiful article on um, an event that a social impact initiative that I have, I started it about, well, right kind of in the midst of the pandemic, not by design, but it just kind of evolved that way. Um, but anyway, it's called Game Change. And so its intent is to be able to support women of color. It's led by black women for all women of mm -hmm. color, working toward leadership positions um, at the intersection of emerging technology and mass media and entertainment, um, what we call future media. Wow. Um, we focus on several pillars, um, AI, 5G, digital currency, um, blockchain, Web3, and the metaverse, again, as it intersects with mass media and entertainment. Wow. Why? Because if you look at all statistics, whether it's, you know, from Nielsen or so much more, um, women of color are always holding it down, right? For whether it's more minutes used on one's mobile phone per month or watching more minutes of television or posting more frequently to social media, so much, right? Um, but that we don't really sharing the equity of this, mm. right? We're driving the revenue of so many companies and advertising around them and so much, but really, I mean, at the bottom of the scale in terms of like both power and, and, you know, uh, money really. So I decided I wanted to start this, um, to really be able to do, um, kind of two things. Well, the first is to just generate more visibility, um, for women of color in this space, um, and those statistics and more, right. A, a lot of historical, um, elements, which so many people don't know we are, we're not new to this, right. As, as a, a rap lyric goes, but, um, so it, you know, kind of takes two forms. There's 
uh, the one, I guess, more traditional kind of side of things where there are events and workshops, et cetera. Um, but then the other side, which I guess I'm even more passionate about is what I call the campaign side. So that is, um, we're in pre-production for, um, a very edgy and cool documentary around this space, um, creating different content, um, on various levels, um, and more all to be able to kind of drive, um, greater visibility and kind of change the cultural conversation around um, women of color in tech. I think it's always like, you know, that we're either invisible or, you know, kind of brand new to this, but never acknowledging what we are already doing mm-hmm. and what we have done, mm-hmm. you know, as a demographic prior. I mean, so many people don't even know that the scientist who, you know, created the technology, which is fundamental to 3D glasses, which obviously has, have moved into VR headsets, is a black mm. woman, right? So, you know, there's a lot of louding around of, you know, Caucasian men, and they're always, you know, so, so, so mythical, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have our own stuff, too, and it's time to start just, you know, being able to, to bring that to the forefront. Um, why mass media and entertainment? I just kind of felt like it was time to drill down into a specific arena. There's been so much talk around, you know, women in tech or black people in tech or black women in tech. And it kind of, the numbers don't change that much. For those who are listening who may not know, um, typically 2% or less of venture capital funding goes to um, founders of color in general. Um, The women, the female slice of that pie is even smaller. Um, We don't even have any figures on on angel investing because everybody's talks about venture, but, you know, prior to that, you typically need some kind of traction unless you have a connection um, to speak to VCs. Um, So angel investing, who knows, right? Because they have no spotlight on them. And if I were an angel investor or you, I really don't know what that is. So we have no idea on that number. But anyway, the number is not really changing that much. So I just thought, why don't we just like focus on one specific area, one specific uh, industry, and kind of drill down there and see if we can start to tip the scales. Also, because that's just an area that I'm passionate about. It's where I've spent all of my career um, in mass media and entertainment. And it is critical right now. We are, you know, taking part of our life journey to do something which is informative over mass media, right? right? And so it's where we're always changing, I mean, excuse me, exchanging um, news, information, communication, and so much. And you know what? We as people of color don't own anything that is considered quote unquote media of record. And I'm doing air quotes for people listening. Um, you know, so the New York Times, um, you know, NBC, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, a lot of times uh, when, when these companies were started, I look at like Warner Media or something, you know, people of color were still being hung mm. when Jack Warner started Warner Media. Yeah. So we're kind of really playing um, catch, up. catch up. And it is important to be able to now more than ever, right, where there's all this, uh, you know, frenzy around misinformation, disinformation, whatever. We would like to just be part of information in general, right? And I think it is, it is important to have that and to have all perspectives included. So I'm a huge champion of that. And I'm a stupid, crazy fan of anything, you know, media, no matter what platform. My mom tells me I used to make my own um, newspapers on the floor with like paper and my crayons mm. complete with ads, like back in the day. This is something I just came to, you know, this lifetime with. And I absolutely love it. I love every single thing about it. And I just would like to see more people you know, included um, in it in a way that's organic to them, but that is also very much respected. So anything I can do around that is um, 
really just part of my life mission. And so that's the very long kind of context to how Anne (laughs) created this wonderful story on this event that Game Change, my social impact initiative, um, produced in conjunction with Samsung here in New York in the Meatpacking District, bringing together various um, executives uh, to talk about like kind of the future of Web3 and emerging technology in general as it pertains to mass media and entertainment. Um, These were executives of all hues. Um, I'm never interested in speaking only to women or only to black people or only black women. Um, You know, it's about everybody and just um, having us sometimes lead that conversation, which sometimes we don't, you know, get to do enough of. So yeah, it was wonderful. I had um, the head of a new venture fund that is created um, in conjunction with United Talent Agency, one of the big, you know, agencies in in Hollywood was on the stage. Um, I had uh, the head of uh, culture and Oh, I forget the rest of his title because it's very lofty, but over at 300 Entertainment, which is home to the label home to Megan The Stallion and others, part of Warner Music Group and just several others. And it was really great. And Anne was gracious enough to be able to cover it. So, yeah. Um, but I'm not an expert in Web3, but I'm happy to to chat more about it. I know you said, you know, offline that you wanted to speak more about it. It's It's kind of cool timing because... For those who may not know, if you, you Google anything almost right now, there's um, this kind of hotshot 20-something-year-old who's like all over uh, industry news right now as having raised $10 million, um, in seed funding for this Web3 venture right. that many notables are behind, but one of them, Jay-Z. And so people are talking a lot more about this now, trying to figure out what Web3 kind of is, where it's going. And for those listening who are like, I really got to get up on this. You are not lost. You're not behind. It's not, you know, it's still very much coming. I don't know if anybody can even truly describe it just yet, what Web3 is. I heard uh, one discussion earlier today on like this, uh, through this Telegram group I'm a part of. So if you could just kind of think about it more as like, so Web2 being quote unquote owned by the big tech companies, just Google, et cetera. If you could imagine Web3 then reverting back to us as the users, and then we would have ownership of our content, be able to buy and sell and trade through, you know, with NFT, some form of digital currency. Um, imagine just, I guess, a more decentralized uh, Web2 that enables you to also be able to um, conduct business and trade and sell and um, to be able to just, I guess, move around in a more collaborative sense. That is very vague. Mm-hmm. And, and so one would have to see it and it is, you know, becoming. So there you kind of have it on my, my couple cents about Web3. I don't know if that's No, that's great. No, not, thank you. I mean, honestly, that's, that's, <laughs> that's welcome. much more than I, I knew at the, uh, before this I've dabbled, we've had people on about NFTs. I had, um, uh, mm-hmm. big Mar on to talk about, uh, NFTs, um, Lamar Wilson. And we, we were also talking about crypto and I've had Connor Borrego on to talk about it, but, uh, we don't really, you know, from what you said, it seems like something where it's a space that is trying to make the internet at least more, uh, personalized, equitable, but also controllable, right? I mean, the internet seems to be this phenomenon that everybody uses, but can anyone name actually like who's in charge of it? Who's running it? Where's right. the bandwidth? Why, where, why do we, how do we even have things saved in this digital space on a 
piece of plastic and metal in front of us. And I think, um, you know, thank you for what you explained, because it seems like a great opportunity. We've talked about it before on this podcast about from the investment side, but um, talking Mm. more about it from just the tech side is is cool, too. And, you know, I think with tech uh, and and what you were saying, you know, when you were talking, I, I got this question in my head that I really wanted to ask you, which was, do you think tech has a branding problem? Uh, when it comes to uh, youth, uh, women, and people of color. Um, do you think that, uh, you know, when I went to college, um, there were groups like black engineers or Hispanic engineers, Jewish engineers, mm. uh, but you the, the when when people would, would, would be drinking and joking around about who they wanted to hire at a tech firm, everybody talks about, you know, Hong Kong and Seoul and everybody talks about London, but, you know, they, they never talk about Ghana or, or, or Rwanda. They never talk about Atlanta or Detroit, right? The hubs of uh, people mm-hmm. of color or, or mm-hmm, even Mexico. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this is so far from mm-hmm. the truth, right? I mean, Web3 is going to be something where you really could see kind of an anti-colonial flipping of the board where maybe some people that have been disadvantaged for a long time could get get an advantage? Well, um, I think, well, there's so much to unpack there, but I think it's kind of a perfect, well, maybe not a segue, but a harken back to what I just said mm. about Jay-Z investing in this company. By the way, it's called Spatial Labs. Okay. And so this, um, the founder is of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do think he is not just of color, but, and you mentioned Ghana, he's Ghanaian, right? Mm. He's a Ghanaian um, American entrepreneur. He's 25. And so I do think, you know, people are saying that it will be an opportunity to kind of um, shift things because of the lack of centralization. But if we're you know, if your question is talking about like today, I mean, well, yeah, most certainly. And I think it's, it's really interesting because everything is about um, framing, right? And I remember speaking to somebody um, who's, you know, Indian American uh, from, you know, India, not a Native American, um, talking about how the, the almost campaign was set up to start to shift the idea about Indian expertise in the technology space because, it, you know, was seen as just a throwaway. I'm talking about a couple of decades ago. And then it was, like I said, this whole kind of campaign to talk about, you know, and to really uh, gather up uh, the the knowledge and the expertise, et cetera, in both India, but then also just this idea of the, the, the hot shot Indian, you know, founder or the Indian engineer. That stuff is it's actually created. And if you can get enough people together around something, you know, you start a drumbeat and it kind of just keeps going. Um, I was again, speaking about this probably back in 2008 with somebody who was, you know, from India, but like second generation based in Silicon Valley. And he talked about a lot of the structuring of that because he was part of it because they wanted to collectively change this, this notion. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to do it. As you see, I mean, what the most recent CEO of Twitter is from, you know, India, we see Sundar at at Google, et cetera, et cetera. We have not seen this, um, in technology just yet. I think really, um, Technology is one of the, uh, well, I wouldn't say final areas for people of color to shine through. But I mean, you know, we have seen it happen in sports. We've seen it happen in various areas of entertainment, et cetera. There's no reason why um, it can't happen and should be happening more, right? The first multimillionaire or even millionaire breakthrough in tech who is um, black. Because again, 
we tend to be the early adopters and the most frequent users. So, you know, one could argue that we know this stuff better <laughs> than those who've created it. It's just a matter of dynamics and, and typically accessing, you know, the, the funding to be able to get it to together, it being, you know, your idea or, or, or what have you, or simply being hired. You know, I think that there's been an awful lot of, um, you know, focus on coding. You need to know how to code. And we need to focus on kids coding. Mm-hmm. All right, but you've missed a whole generation, right, of full-on adults who could do something while we're focusing on children, not that we shouldn't, and I love that, but, the, you know, we're all capable of doing more than one thing at a time. And I see, you know, okay, she is now most recently, I guess, I wouldn't say retired, but well, we're at least retired from Facebook. You know, Cheryl Sandberg always—you always used to be very tongue in cheek. I don't know how to code at all. I don't anything anything about coding. Number two at Facebook. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's possible. I think there, you know, there's these certain standards that sometimes certain demographics are held to because it's like, well, you need to do just a little bit more. Mm. No, <laughs> no. There are many, many positions at different um, companies where one can thrive without being you know, some, some deep, deep coder. I know nothing about coding. I mean, I learned how to code a little, little bit. Um, and this was only very basic websites back in the day in like 2000, it was enough for me. And I'm so happy I did it because it was enough for me to, um, be able to do, I guess, two things. One, appreciate what it's like to be an engineer, because if I had so much challenge doing this on a basic level, I'd be like, wait, it's just, I should have had a comma there instead of a semicolon. It took me all day to find that. Like you can really, really, you know, appreciate somebody in AI. You know what I mean? You're just like, that's a whole nother level. Um, One. And then two, it helps you as you interact with um, engineers and developers to have more of a maybe mutual respect um, because it just is, it's, it's, it's kind of critical and they too for you. So I'm not somebody who is in technology from that point of view. Technology interests me more from a, a cultural point of view and how it is leveraged, how it can be used to brand, how it will used to be used to be brand, uh, to brand. Um, and uh, really how it impacts and shifts and shapes society. So I'm looking at it much more from both a business point of view and then also maybe almost a, you know, an, an anthropology point of view. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's my position. I just kind of want to, want to be able to make that um, clear. But I love that. I absolutely love it. And that's what I guess is the other part of my day. So I'm not like kind of focused on game change then I'm focused on my own agency, which is uh, LNK. It's phonetic for link, which is that's what it's intended to do mm-hmm. is to, you know, link either uh, corporations or um, the public sector, you know, different politicos, et cetera, who want to be able to reach um, senior Gen Z and junior millennials. So approximately 18 to 24, 34, my specialty um, to be able to do that in very creative ways. Um, using concept marketing a lot of times with leveraging entertainment, um, leveraging technology, and being able to do it in a way that helps them to capture more market share. But yeah, it's really about connecting. It's something that I guess I've always loved um, doing, but I just love it even more when it deals with, uh, you know, culture and, and entertainment. And I always say I was like, I don't know, 18 to 24, 34 before I was that age. And I will be that 99 year old in the nightclub, like saying like, that's the hot song. It's just innate to me. Um, I started my career at MTV after graduating from Columbia. And I worked there for about three years. 
Um, I went there with the intent of working at MTV News. Now, for younger listeners, they'll be like, MTV I know MTV News. News. Do you have to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kurt Loder, that's Kurt Loder. Right back in the day, um, back in the day. Who's the one that's on Fox News now? Yes. Um, oh, yes, with the glasses. Yes. Um, who we did not know at the time was like hardcore. Very, very, uh, you know, very, very Reagan, but, yeah. Um, yeah, she looks almost the same, but I know who you're talking about. Um, at that time, you know, you have to go back when there was no social media, et cetera. Right. And so um, the only way you got news about I don't, Nirvana, Snoop, MTV. et cetera, this was like the rise of death rose to MTV. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that the power of that with news was like just everything for me. And I'd been an English major at Columbia. But I have to tell you, I, I do think at that time, maybe even, even still today, I don't know. But at that time, there was a little bit of the left in the hallways of that, you know, we don't play black videos on on this channel in the air, mm-hmm. right? It was never said, of course, but it was in the air. There were like, I don't know, 1.2 black people there. <laughs> they were working it on Yo! MTV Raps. And there was me trying to run around and, 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 you know, make friends while I was just like, you know, I would do like maybe a little bit in this production company, a little bit, I mean, on this production. And, you know, if I was needed in like creative services, I would bounce around, but always be like sneaking back into the news. And for whatever crazy reason, they just had this rule where like, if you hadn't written for Rolling Stone, they weren't checking for you. I mean, why? Right. So that would be a hurdle to get over, but it was so good to work there because, you know, Viacom was, I guess still at the time, as all corporations, you know, very political. And so I learned two major things there, um, corporate politics and how to brand, because the brand was everything to MTV, you know, just how it looked and when it appeared and how it appeared and how things were thought through and different colors and all that. And I didn't realize I was taking all that in, but I did. And I learned how to respect a brand. Um, So that was good. But then afterwards, I was like, I got to get out of here because I'm just going to be frustrated forever. So then I had an opportunity to work with at what was at the time the hottest um, marketing company in the music industry. Um, this was when you have to go back to the golden era of hip hop when like Cypress Hill dropped Black Sunday and um, Tribe Called Quest with Midnight Marauders One and Drake's Chronic and Snoop yeah. Dogg's Doggy Style. Just seminal music, right? And we didn't know it was going to be like legendary. We're just like, it's great. Like it was just like a lifestyle. Right. You know, um, but the majors didn't know really what to do with this because it was something that was new. It had not been a business before. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, what people did. So it started to become a business. They didn't know what to do. So they farmed it out to people who did. And they were really gritty and just, you know, crazy. And But they knew what they were doing. So I got hired at one of those companies, but I had my own ideas of how to do kind of proof of concept around branding. I knew digital was coming down the pike. I knew it would be huge. So I just said to him, why don't you just hire me half the time and pay me half? And he heard pay me half and he was like, fine. So the other half of the time, I kid you not, Justin, I started my first business out of my super small studio in Soho. And one of the guys who I worked with, I will never forget him. Like, God bless his soul. He, he passed away. He had a complication in the hospital. But anyway, he got a job in A&R at Virgin when Virgin first started its rap division. I'm going back, huh? They did a deal with Rap-A-Lot Records. For those who don't know, Legendary Ghetto Boys, etc. Yeah. And um, one of their first projects was Scarface's first solo album. That's a great album. And my friend said to me, if you start your business, I'll make sure we hire you because I know how you get down. As people who know me know if I'm going to do something, like I will almost bleed for it, right? Which I've 
tried to pull back on, but that's just me. Anyway, so I was like, okay, cool. And then the Source magazine, way back in the day, had some issue, like some um, crisis issue with something that had happened between the owners. And I was like, I know how to to position that. I know how to frame that. So I got my first two clients and I never looked back. And it was just such a wonderful experience. And over a 10-year period, I grew the business to have offices in New York, LA, and in Paris. And I had clients, well, everybody from... I mean, all these projects affiliated with people, Ice Cube, Eminem, when Jay-Z decided he wanted to take Rockaway internationally, um, Damon Dash, believe it or not, I met him, it was in Paris, and he, has, he hired my company to help frame that um, when they decided you know, to drive the brand internationally, which enabled them, a lot of the work that we did enabled them to sell that to a company called Iconics Brand for what is still, I believe, a street record today, or a street wear record today, excuse me, for $160 million dollars. So it was really great, but like many things, you know, it was great until it wasn't. It's very tedious to do digital campaigns, huh? Mm -hmm. It really is if you do them right. You know, you're doing this one painstaking thing, point of content or whatever at a time. And so um, after, well, during all this right before, well, I set up my office in Paris, came back to my office in L.A., and 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, do I keep doing this? Do I not? No, let me keep doing it. But it never really fully recovered. So I still executed everything. Um, but I would say probably after a couple of years in Paris, I was like, this is just really, you know, between the tedium and really focused on um, moving past just bare bones revenue. I was like, well, when everybody else finds, you know, positions, I want to pull back and do I guess what I've always been innately good at, which is seeing trends further out, helping people to connect with them and seeing how technology kind of moves through all that. So I started doing informal research, which turned into formal research, which turned into my first book, um, looking at, again, at this point, um, millennials and brands, pop culture and technology. And then I decided to come back to the States. Um, DC, of all places, was the first to start asking me to come to talk about this book. So then I was like, okay. And it was kind of a cool DC at that point. I hadn't been to DC since I was probably a kid since that part of time. Like, who cared about DC at that moment? But this was the cool version of DC when Obama was in office and there was more shops being built. It was just kind of undergoing, I guess, a type of rena renaissance, or at least for me. And so I was like, well, I need somewhere to put myself. I know New York. I know Paris. I know LA. Well, let's try DC. So then I put down roots there for a little while. Um, got to learn how kind of the political side of the world functions, at least from a U.S. point of view. I was fortunate enough to do things like create congressional briefings on diversity and tech on the Hill for um, Congressman Rangel and others. And it was really great, but very challenging because, you know, I was coming from a, a private sector point of view and like, not just like, we need money, let's ask somebody. Like, that's how they handle money there. And I'd be like, but I... <laughs> Don't do it that way. So again, very challenging, but a wealth of knowledge that I had. And then um, I decided eventually to move back to New York. And this is, I guess, the the latest incarnation of Lauren Delisa Coleman and her businesses. Um, and during that time, I started uh, fooling around with creating an alpha version of an AI-driven media company that I'm working on now and raising um, money for and talking with corporations about potential partnership on taking it, you know, into a beta and um, moving it into, you know, a full-on 
a full-on company. I'm looking for this to be the, the first ever major um, media company that's digital that is owned by somebody of color, but for general market and will be international and to show that we can do this, we're fully capable and make it very exciting and sexy. And it's going to have a number of Web3 elements um, that will deal with tokens and governance around tokens. And yeah, that is my story, Justin. <laughs> well, I, I, a lot there, right? Yeah, well, I'll have to make sure our fans and we here at the podcast keep up with you. I know that you're short on time. You have to run. Um but you know, but I don't feel that you've been able to ask any questions. So I mean, you know, feel free. I'm just today is a day where I'm just going to be behind schedule, and I'm just going to, I guess, like give into it. <laughs> so let's go for it because you're such a a beautiful listener, and I oh, appreciate you, you um, giving me the space. Sure, um, sure. Well, to talk, I'm, and I guess I wanted to give a bit of context because when you don't do something that's like quote unquote normal, you kind of have to, or you feel that it's better to give. A bit of understanding as Definitely. to how did this person come to this and and why yeah. and why should I believe what this person's saying? But you know, I've lived all of this shit that I'm talking about. So yeah, you can believe me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's been boots on the ground. No, Definitely. I mean, I, I honestly, I envy you. Your life sounds really cool. <laughs> MTV, oh, well, MTV, and, I wish- and being at there at the nexus of my favorite era in hip-hop my favorite era in hip-hop is 1988 to about 1994 i think it was the greatest in hip-hop r&b new jack swing you had all that you had you had native tongues you had all those 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 groups well was and it was such a nice diversity of of genre wasn't it you could have souls of mischief from the west coast at the same time you could listen to Dre, at the same time you could listen to, you know, whatever. I mean, Get like Tribe in New York. Yeah. I mean, everything came together. And I think this was like kind of the rise of, you know, Wu-Tang. I mean, like everything, it wasn't like, oh, I only listened to this this region or whatever. Right. Everybody sounded the same because that was the sound. Um, you know, it just, yeah, it was a very special time. And I just, you know, not by design, I just fell into it, but more for a, a love and the passion of, um, the, the brand of these, and I will say men, cause I work mostly with, you know, male mm. artists, the, the brands and the passion of these men is, is just, I, it's just fascinating to me. Like I just, I mean, of course they're, they're, the music is, is amazing and, uh, you know, takes you to another place and that or whatever, but their personalities are very, very special. The personality of somebody who can hear something in the air that you can't. And the next thing you know, they have people like singing like anthems in a stadium. That's a very special personality. And um, they're oftentimes misunderstood. I don't even think a lot of times they understand themselves because, you know, they're just very, you know, different, but that's something I've always gravitated toward. And um, yeah, I love it. I I love that craziness. Not all day, every day, huh? That's why I had to pull back after a while. But I, I, um, I'm looking forward to working more with that specific genre as it moves into emerging technology, because I want to make certain that it is represented in an organic way and that those who are outside of the culture aren't the ones who always scoop it up. And, you know, I mean, you know what I'm yeah. talking about, right? They, they always side up to the artist management and, you know, they have the connections and we see this happen in basketball as well, that certain people are able to get to said, superstar and they then handle all of their investing and then the investing goes back to people who kind of look like the only the person who Mm -hmm. you know is sidled up to the this this player 
you know, we have to be able to start to manage more of our own things um, better because we have such special, beautiful things, um, such beautiful contributions to this country and the world. So it's important, I think, you know. I agree. I, all that that what you said is is very important and preserving culture for it. Well, I think seeing which would be my father worked on Wall Street. Uh, I think his yeah. his dream was always that um, you, just because you're a person of color doesn't mean you only have to market to people of color. Well, this right? is it. And so true. that why is it? I, I remember. Um, Reginald Lewis came out with the book, Why Do White Guys Have uh, All the Fun, right? And it's... Yeah, why Should why White should Guys I, Have right. All the Fun? I remember and, and that. Like, and I think he's holding a cigar even on the cover. Yeah. I, I remember and, that. And the yeah, big yeah. thing with my dad and then and Reginald, who they actually knew each other, um, was that, look, um, we want to maximize our potential. And we want to be... We're not saying we need to be colorblind in everything that we do, but we don't need to be color focused in all the products that we and I create. When George Washington Carver invented peanut butter, he wasn't thinking, oh, I bet a bunch of uh, people who look like me are only people who enjoy this peanut butter. He was thinking, I'm an inventor. I want everyone to enjoy peanut butter, right? Why is it that Einstein, you know, I feel know? the same thing. I feel the same yeah. way. Yeah, you know, no, but please yeah. continue. Your why why is it Einstein? that that we look at like when you go to I teach in high school? Why is it that when you look at the great leaders in science, it's all a bunch of European men who gave their lives and 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 struggle for something for the world? We always say for the world, for the world, for the world. But then when we talk about black mm-hmm, people, mm-hmm. we or like even our great leaders like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Um, Thomas mm-hmm. Sowell, we, we always continue on with saying, well, they did this for their people. They did this for black people. And it's never just a universal thing. Why can't black people be universalist too? I absolutely agree with you. And I say this, you know, all the time, even with a lot of the, our own titles, it's like, you know, black has to be inserted in there or Afro or Afro something right. or whatever. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's great to be uh, proud of one's heritage but I do think it, it, you know, it, it says a certain thing that maybe we don't always want to say. Like Google doesn't say like corny white guys who started it, right? right. It's called Google. Right. <laughs> so that means for everybody. If they call it corny white guys who started it, <laughs> then only corny white guys would use it, right? right? So yeah, we have to be able to, to um, open up, especially because, like I said, we're we're so powerful in terms of being able to uh, determine what's going to hit within culture and what isn't. What comes to mind right now, I think, is like Clubhouse. You know, quiet as it's kept, a lot of what put Clubhouse on the map were people of color and more specifically conversations around, you know, hip-hop and and music. And it was kind of on the DL because, you know, we love to discover stuff, right? And then it started to bubble a little bit. And then I believe legend has it that, um, Elon Musk heard about it from, um, I want to say Azalea Banks or, oh, I can't think of her name right now. But anyway, one of these female rappers and he was like, what's that all about? Um, and then got on it and then of course blew it up. And then of course, where do you go after you're all the way up back down? So, you know, but again, I don't think that, that hip hop and people of color really got the shine that they needed for that. Similarly with, with Twitter, we out indexed on Twitter back in 2008. I wrote a story about it for Business Insider um, and, you know, helped to bring it to the forefront of visibility in American culture again, 
Now it's called, you know, black Twitter, but let's keep it real. When people were leaving, you know, fleeing, I'll say, <laughs> Twitter after Elon, black Twitter still was like very much that which held that found foundation in place for them, right? Mm-hmm. And nobody's really saying that. So, you know, I think it's just important to acknowledge people whenever, whenever and whatever they're doing and to really look at this next era of culture and technology as one that is collaborative as possible and, um, you know, kind of making certain that those who are, uh, I don't know, best of the best are at the, the top. There's also this kind of notion right now of like, you know, people getting something because there's some, someone of color and that it's not, uh, it's not it's warranted, not earned, yeah. right? You're just getting it, right. And of course, that's not true. I had a conversation with somebody who was recently on a major news broadcast and we won't you know, get deep into it around affirmative action. I said, you, you are aware, however, right? And here are the statistics, don't take my word for it, that actually Caucasian women benefit more from affirmative action than any other demographic Amen. in this country. Amen, thank you. Really? Thank you. I didn't know that. Well, please know these things before you're on cable television suggesting that, you know, this or that. Not for nothing as well, but we wouldn't have to be talking about affirmative action if, you know, certain areas were permitted to thrive, like Tulsa. If we didn't have things like Tulsa Massacre, yep. et cetera, mm-hmm. I believe those people were trying to create their own Wall Streets, um, academic institutions, and so much more. So affirmative action would not have to be have be put in place. Nobody's placing any any blame. I don't like to do that. I don't like to live there or feel like I'm, you know, in a space of lack. Yeah. That's not good for myself or anybody. But I do want to make sure that there's always acknowledgement, right? That you know your history before you start talking. And that's always a very good thing. It just really is because otherwise narratives get a bit twisted and confused and that's just not, it's just inappropriate. But see, this is what happens when we don't own more of these platforms. And I'm just really, you know, adamant about that, not just, you know, at a a senior uh, exec level there, which is great. I mean, that is needed too, but there's nothing really like ownership and calling a full shots. And I can't wait to be able to support more of that and do more of that myself. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. And And I'm just so glad that you're doing this. You know what I mean? It's just voice and everything. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I look forward to someday having a product that maybe I could pitch to you at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, I, I think I think it's it's that just, would be ideal. this is fantastic to um, talk to someone who has, I think, a stoic perspective on not only just race, but uh, also the purpose of using your ingenuity, right, as 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 it is to be respected that you know before i am anything i am a human being and i want to be respected for my work to stand out and not be qualified right i mean i don't call the new york i don't call the trend podcast just in a as in a williams the afro-american or the jewish or all my other ethnicities that are combined to make me right i don't i don't do that i i i create a space where I can have the product speak for itself and not have an asterisk sometimes. You know, I think sometimes I mean absolutely sometimes when people talk about us as in 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 realms that we're normally not seen as being in, they put an asterisk uh uh on uh, they transform African American into an asterisk in a way. It's so true. It's it's really challenging, I guess, to be like, hmm. What do you say? Pro like 
part of what you are and then also be part of the whole all at the same time, yeah. right? But I think that that's both the, the joy and the, the challenge of, you know, just being where where you are and to own that. Um, I was fortunate enough to be asked to be on one of AT&T's internal um, podcasts like just last week. And so it was for like a women's group inside of AT&T and they were just asking me different, you know, thoughts on things. And I just said, you know, something that even I discovered recently is to make certain that you are competing on your terms, meaning that whatever is your personal superpower, don't be afraid to tap into that and use it and show that as like part of your personal brand, because you aren't going to be able to compete, nor should you, on the regular Caucasian male, 50-year-old, whatever realm. That is something that is already that, 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 um, what we call that, that help wanted is already <laughs> filled. Right. Um, you want to do like you because it will help you to stand out. You're also going to feel more confident and it's what, what you own. So for me, if I walk into the room and I'm talking about emerging technology and, and culture and hip hop and use, I own that. Like there's not many people who do that. It is a crazy hodgepodge that comes to me naturally, but I see it in a very, um, powerful way and uh, I don't have to compete with somebody on that then and some other person who is maybe more traditional who's creating some parameters and technology they won't be able to challenge me on that or know what to do with it because they don't play in that space I'm not trying to play in a space that you know as we say in hip-hop stay in your lane I'm not an engineer nor do I want to be I'm not you know something else nor do I want to be I want to be like me and I think if 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 there's anything that I could, I guess, share as in terms of like strength of one's personal brand, like that's it. And I think it takes you a while to get there. It's not something that happens overnight and you have to do a lot of, as they say, soul searching and um, personal depth uh, to be able to get there. But when you get there, it's uh, kind of unshakable. And I think when we're younger, we don't know we're on that journey to ourselves and so you kind of get bounced around a bit or you're like why why did that one get that thing and i didn't or this one's doing that and i didn't get that yet that's not that's when you start getting really crazy and it becomes an issue but for personal brand all day and all night i'd be like just what what are your superpowers that even though they seem crazy to you and there's no one else that's doing that that much of that then that's for you and i think i kind of not rejected it for a long time but i don't know maybe took it took it for granted or did not maybe see its value. And I think that that's, it's important to kind of really look at that because that's your experiences make you, and there's only one you, one set of those experiences. Mm -hmm. Sell that, you know what I mean? As much as you can, yeah. But as a speaker, that's another thing that came from um, being in D.C., major uh, agency that is based there called Leading Authority saw me speak at a couple of different events and then um, signed me. They represent mega people, though, like mm -hmm. uh, Anderson Cooper, et cetera. But I am working with them now more to um, position me as that who is not just speaking about um, you know, the emerging tech space and trends and Gen Z, but also how that ties into hip hop and what actually the larger components of that is, you know, from hip hop. And it's exciting and it's different. And I can't wait to see how, how that goes because hip hop is so, you know, creative and resilient and rebellious. And that's what draws people. And to be able to kind of decipher that for 
corporations is uh, it's a very unique skill. I didn't even think about it before, but I'm about to like really leverage up on it because sadly there are so many different corporations, you know, right now doing mad layoffs. And so my position is, you know, to be able to come in and speak and inspire um, and talk about, you know, the new world that is going to be, is, is not going to be, it is happening, you know, in the process of being created right now um, through youth culture and through, um, you know, emerging technology and, and the parts that hip hop play in that and how everybody can use a lot of these, um, I don't know, elements of uh, culture and technology to be able to drive their personal brand at work in their lives and just the overall, you know, corporations brand. Um, and I'm excited to be able to be booked to speak, about these types of things. Cause there's, like I said, there's, I mean, there's unending places to speak about this. Sadly, Salesforce, Oracle, <laughs> Google, you know what I mean? Like I'm excited. You know, if you're listening and you're from one of these companies, <laughs> I'm available because I, I think it's important to main, make sure that those who are um, still maintaining their positions at the corporation, they're gonna have certain ways of, of thinking about the corporation now, right? And it behooves uh, those who are more senior in the C-suite to kind of get in there and help them to be able to um, just, I guess, kind of recreate themselves as they recreate the company, right? Or otherwise, they're just going to have issues with retaining and everybody knows that that's a problem. And it always follows with cycles that once you let so many people go, then you'll have to hire again and Maybe a lot of people are not going to be checking for your company, just keeping it very real. The creator economy is blowing up more and more and more. I think a lot of, of people, you know, younger people are like, why should I take the risk to, to work there? Or why should I dedicate my time to work at this corporation? Especially a lot of times people of color at tech companies, because it was pushed as the great Mecca and guess who's part, one of the first to be, you know, part of the, the great layoffs, right? people of color who went to tech companies because it was pushed, mm -hmm. right? So you have to really think about a lot of different things. But um, yeah, that's that's really what I'm looking forward to most, being able to um, speak at, inside of different companies and corporations to be able to drive uh, the next level of my own, you know, AI startup. Um, well, I should say AI Web3 combo startup. And to be able to... Uh, work with my team uh, with clients who are really looking to, you know, level up in this new space to be able to better connect with their audiences, particularly if their audiences are, you know, what we call the youth market. I don't do teens like, you know, 10, 12 years old. But uh, again, junior, senior Gen Z, what do you call it, junior millennials, that's my sweet spot forever. That's awesome. And, you know, I, you, 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 you're psychic because you, you just went through the questions that I was even going to ask you. So, um, oh. uh, you know, I want to thank you yes. for coming on and I want to thank, uh, obviously Ann Brown for putting us together. Uh, but yes. I also want to say, you know, anytime I can chop up with someone about early nineties hip hop, more than welcome <laughs> to always come back. Um, oh my gosh. Fan, I would love fan. to, cause we could just talk yep. about, we'll just do it just a hip hop episode exactly. right and we can talk about like not naming any names but guess what happened when this you know i had to do this or that with this artist and it was like a crazy situation people love to always hear the crazy stories and i have stories but i don't really even have stories like managers and stuff 
But yes, just such a, a beautiful time with so much creativity. Mm. Not that it isn't now, but you know, whenever something's new yeah. and hot, you know what I mean? Like I can even remember seeing that one of the first times like Faith ever performed on stage, like at the Palladium mm. back in the day. Like, yes, fun. Buy a magazine, all that stuff, East Coast, West Coast stuff. Oh man. Yup, the day that Biggie got shot. I was in LA, never forget it. Oh, I remember the day that, of course, Tupac was released from jail, but also the day that they shot that video, the Mad Max looking video. It was just like everybody in the industry was like, you know, what's going on? What are they doing? Everybody tech, well, not even texting back and forth. I'm dating myself, but you know, using their two way pager and mm. everything. Oh yeah, we saw them go here and there. Oh, so many fun things. Such a, such a fun, fun time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I will want to thank our fans for listening in. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Thank you again for making us top 15% globally in terms of shares. That's shares of episodes. It's shares of, of everything about us. So that's that's great. You guys are holding it yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. And great. thank you so much to Lauren Delisa Coleman. And obviously, I want to say that, uh, remember, we're better when we uh, trend together. Thank you.